My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. This is Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions, our weekly music and interview show. If you're a returning listener, we're so glad to have you here with us once again. And if you're brand new, welcome. This week on the show, we're joined by writer and musician Jana Horn. Her new album, The Window is the Dream, is out now on No Quarter Records. Writing about it, Andy French at Raven Sings the Blues calls it a delicate exfoliation of dream and reality. That's an apt way to put it. When she's not pinning oracular folk rock songs, Horn teaches fiction at the University of Virginia and writes short stories. The Window is the Dream is a gem. It follows optimism, which contains a song called Jordan, which grabbed me by the collar when I first heard it last year. Sometimes a song suggests something mysterious, something ineffable nearly impossible to put into words, and that was the case for me with Jordan. The song, as you will hear, is something of a mystery even to its author. And that's a term that Horn isn't especially keen to apply to herself in the case of that song. If the notion of music or art working like a doorway into radical mystery appeals to you, I think you'll find a lot of power and beauty in this chat, which centers on what we don't know and sometimes what we don't hear or attempt to say. Before we get into it, I have a question for you. Do you dig Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions? If so, we'd love to hear from you. What do you like about the show? Who would you like to hear on upcoming episodes? You can find my contact info at Aquarium Drunkard, where you'll of course also find our online music magazine, which is filled with mixtapes, lanyard sessions, Aquarium Drunkard goods, and lots more. We hear from you all often asking what's the best way to support transmissions, and the answer is easy. You can join our Patreon community. We've got all sorts of great stuff for you over there to check out, to read, to hear, to interact with. There's never a paywall for any Aquarium Drunkard stuff or this show, but independent media isn't free to create, and your support helps us keep bringing you recommendations and details about the music we love, which we hope will become music you'll love. All right. That spiel is out of the way, so here's my conversation with Jana Horn. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll speak a little more on the other side.
How are you? Um, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I just got home from teaching and I'm, yeah, my day's kind of like over now. So. Excellent. Yeah. So what, what do you teach and where do you teach at? I teach, um, writing to a freshman at the University of Virginia. Excellent. Excellent. You wrote a lot of this new album while in a creative writing program, right? Is that when, when was, when, when did, uh, when did, uh, the window is the dream get started and what, what was going on there? Um, when did it get started? Um, yes. So I was in a, I was in the writing program here and, um, I guess I just kind of started writing it in the little downtime that I had. Um, yeah. So, you know, just basically kind of here or there out of the corner of my eye kind of writing um, while I was kind of, yeah, just reading a ton and writing short stories. And, um, yeah, I guess it was some way for me to kind of see another see myself through the day in in a different way um it kind of just came about pretty pretty indirectly that way i think yeah that's really that's that's fascinating to think about i spend a lot of time thinking about the relationship between like for a creative person for a songwriter for an artist of any kind i guess i think a lot about the relationship between input and output and Mm -hmm. it sounds like there was a lot of input happening i think in the notes you wrote something like you were reading 500 pages a week or something like that yeah yeah i mean that's a yeah it's a really interesting like thing to think about for sure I, i i think about that a lot too especially like um what you're taking in and then what you're putting out can sometimes be so uh vastly different the kind of chasm between um and like it's kind of funny to hear what people are influenced by and what people are taking in and then what kind of gets filtered through them and and come out the other end um yeah i i also think that that's really fascinating it's it's funny i recently did a talk with another podcaster vish khana and we were talking a little bit about this um talking about yeah exactly our relationship with what we're uh listening to or watching or you know or reading and how you take that stuff in and as a result what comes out of you know a creative process ends up being influenced by it but but not it's not a one-to-one thing it's not a the relationship can be so so weird and and so I don't know. It's just it's really interesting to think about that in regards to this this new record which I mean the 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 song The Dream. I mean, whoa, that's a really great song. And uh <laughs> the guitar part at the end is really fantastic. That really goes somewhere in a cool way. So, you know, on one hand, yeah, there's there's that sort of like uh maybe maybe exploratory edge coming into these songs but yeah to think about you writing it in a time of such intense basic um you know study or or however you would you would phrase it is really is interesting was the first record optimism i mean did it feel like it came out of similar circumstances at all or did it feel very different 
Oh, very different. I think kind of like could not be more different, maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that time in my life, I was, you know, kind of flitting through life by the seat of my pants. And those songs um, were just very much, yeah, kind of like uh, trailing behind me or something, trying to keep up. Um, and uh, the writing of this album was was so much more, I mean, in in one word, sedentary, maybe, but um, I felt like <laughs> sure. all the motion was happening like in another in another place. It wasn't so bodily. It was more, um, yeah, a lot of mental work and uh, literally a lot of more mental work than than before. Just yeah. yeah, you if I if I understand right, there was an earlier version of optimism that you scrapped, right? There was a ver you recorded a version that you ultimately weren't happy with. Is that or is it the same record or the same songs, just not a takes that you were happy with or um no actually the only song that uh made the cut was optimism okay that's the and only so, one that carried over so you fit yeah. you 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 really scrapped it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, yeah that one that album was such a like i don't know i think everyone should scrap a record you know <laughs> you have to i feel like there's so much that has to be kind of like worked out um I mean, maybe I, maybe I should take that back. I'm nope, sure it's too late. That's the, head, that's the headline. <laughs> Jana Horn thinks you should delete delete that, like that scene in uh, Some Kind of Monster where <laughs> Lars Ulrich's dad tells him, cut it out, get out of here. Yeah. Well, there's this, like, I, I, there's these um, philosophers, and I, and I really shouldn't be telling this story, but I, I heard this once, and it really it really resonated with me that there were these two, these two authors that were uh, commenting on each other, and... Um, one had put out, you know, uh, quite a volume of work and the other one had not. And they were asked to kind of, you know, <laughs> weigh in on each other. And um, the, the one who put out less things said, said about the other, oh, well, he gets his education in public. And that kind of like, you know, really rang out in my head for, for many years. And I, I didn't want to <laughs> I didn't want to get my education in public. Um, sure. which, you know, it's not really something you can avoid. I, I think I'll, I'll always be doing that. But with that first album, it really felt like I was educating myself. It didn't feel like I was, um, I was at the, the kind of stage of creation or something like that, if it makes sense. I mean, I, I felt like I was doing too much learning to really call that album an album. Sure. Um, yeah. And you were coming out of a group where you were a, a contributor to a, a, a project, right? Reservations. Was that kind of mm -hmm. the timeline lines up where, so you were coming out of that and kind of coming into your own. So when you talk about, you know, your education or learning how to make a record, you're talking about doing it on your own, more or less, or under your own name. I wonder how that shift influenced how you were thinking about it or, or if it did at all. Yeah, I mean, it was quite a rocky a, a rocky, you know, transition, um, I think. And I think that's what led to, to that album kind of falling away. Just, uh, you know, just understanding how to make something out of nothing, um, by yourself. And, uh, you know, it's never by yourself, but it was, it was something I needed to kind of figure out how to do, um, without, <laughs> like yeah a consistent 
uh, consistent like group of, of collaborators and, and figuring out who I want to work with and, and how I want to work with them and, and what it means to work with someone and can I do it on my own and should I do it on my own and like yeah the question trying to that, figure that out <laughs> the yeah. questions that you have to answer when it's your thing <laughs> that you don't totally. get to defer right right and kind of doing that in real time while I'm making the album it's it's like a, it's clumsy it's like it's not a it wasn't I had to I had to you know make some mistakes I think yeah yeah well, I mean, I I can't I haven't heard the the scrapped album, so I can't compare and contrast. <laughs> no but, one has. <laughs> but what I can say is that Optimism is a really fantastic album and it's really cool that 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 it's one of those records where I feel like maybe in some ways it speaks to the way that records live in the modern era maybe more so than like I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago where a record comes out and it's out. Optimism sort of had like multiple lives, right? And that it mm. was released and then kind of re-released to a wider audience, which of course is common enough. But the more and more I think about it and the more we move towards maybe a slightly more ephemeral framework for how music gets released, you know, or how it, things come out. I wonder if the idea of, you know, like release dates will end up being more or less just not really something that we focus on so much, like when this came out. But at the same time, that means your relationship to the record is like extended in ways that maybe say, so if, if I just got on board when the no quarter version of the record came out, you know, you had already been living with those songs for a while. Did you have to sort of like re-approach them in a way as that record kind of found its way into more people's hands? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, definitely. Like in terms of like conceptualizing it or in terms of um, like literally approaching it, like, you know, approaching I guess the guitar and the... Oh gosh, I guess maybe both. Maybe I'm curious if like did I mean did you have to relearn songs or whatever? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um <laughs> definitely had to just like relearn my own songs and um That's such a funny feeling, but it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, kind of like I'm uh like writing a fan fiction book of my own writing or something like that. Um but yeah, I think it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I hate, I feel like this is the second time in the interview I'm like recommending my life to someone else, but, um, you know, I, I would, it, it was nice, it was nice to, to, um, to have the opportunity to kind of take a break from it and come back to it. Um, yeah. I feel like so much, so much interesting stuff happens in that gap. Um, and you can really, you know, you know, I, I could say, you know, you can see it more for what it is, but, you know, I think I think you can see it um, more interestingly. Like, there's just so many other, um, there's so many things that happen to us in a period of time that create this, like, interesting kaleidoscope to then look back on um, ourselves with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was, um, I thought it was really useful to have had that break. Um, and... What I, you know, it, it maybe, maybe 
bit depressing for it to have really, you know, gone uh, mostly unlistened to for a few years, but um, that's probably good too. It's probably good to, to have both experiences. Sure. I think a lot about, I read an interview where you were talking about the song Jordan, which is a really remarkable song. And it's the one that when I was, when, you know, thinking about having you on the podcast, it was like, I feel like I could almost devote the entire episode to just asking you questions about what's happening <laughs> in that song. Um, I, I will not do that for your sake and perhaps also for the listener's sake. Um, but I was reading an interview where you were talking about it and I think you essentially said something and feel free to correct me if I'm kind of paraphrasing incorrectly, but I think you'd said something to the effect of, you were figuring out what that song meant or was about in real time too. Like it was almost like a, a, a thing you were unraveling as it was being created and thinking about how you've had all this time to live with those songs, you know, and obviously you've, you've been working on new stuff and there's a whole other record to consider, but I just wonder if, the experience of that maybe sort of ambiguous state with your own something you had created and then had time to allow for it to maybe reveal itself to you in new ways. I just wonder how that affected the way you went into these new songs, if it did at all. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. you know, I, I, uh, I really try not to know what, I'm writing a song about um, because as soon as I start to um, as soon as I start to like preform a narrative and translate it into a, a piece of work it to me um, it to me can feel like uh, pedantic or something um, yeah. I know that's a strong word to use but I, I hesitate to like, know exactly what I know. Um, even sure. in regards to myself. Um, so I think there's some sort of balance I want to strike when I'm writing where it's like, this is both something that, uh, like some, some act of like revelation in the process of writing a song. I like to at least try that um because the alternative to me feels kind of like icky the alternative meaning like sort of essentially approaching it almost polemically or something like i'm gonna here's i'm gonna sit down and i'm going to like create a statement about a thing is that is that what you mean yeah i guess i just like don't i don't really yeah i don't i it's hard for me to to um make statements like that it doesn't come naturally to me and it, it feels like kind of counterintuitive to um you know what i'm working on i think like it's you know it's pretty common i think you know improvisational for example you know jazz or, or guitar playing or, or whatever you're doing um i feel like i'm kind of doing that with words um and it's i'm kind of just allowing what is you know, present in that moment to have its little, um, 
to have its to see where it to see how it builds on, on it on itself and you know um how each word might lead to the next you know on its own yeah, yeah. As somebody who also is involved in the process of teaching, you know, writing or and, and also, you know, writing more prose based stuff, does is there a is there any sort of tug of war between those two approaches? Do you or or does a sort of similar sense of beginner's mind or not knowing play into that process too? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I kind of used to see these two, um, practices as being pretty, uh, you know, dichotomous or something singular. Um, but now I really feel they're, um, I really feel them like weaving together pretty, um, pretty strongly, um, in fiction writing, which is what I, I, I do mostly. Um, and when I'm, you know, trying to teach my kids. Um, I shouldn't say kids. Oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's an element of like, you know, that, that paradise that we long for in which like things just come out of you unconsciously. Sure. Um, however, it can become a disaster when you're uh, in fiction writing, I think. Um, so I think that, there's like a, there has to be that balance. So I think like, you know, it's, uh, I, I strive for that unconscious writing in the, in the beginning, but then there's, uh, so much thin that is, um, needs to be, those gaps need to be filled in, um, in, uh, prose writing in a way that they don't have to be filled in, in, um, songwriting. Um, I feel like songwriting can be, those gaps can be filled in musically, um, or or in other in other ways that uh, don't involve more words. You know what I mean? No, absolutely no. So I, I I do know what you mean, and I feel like that's. I think maybe that's why. I mean, that's one of the the sort of mystical allures of music, is like, is that it's a space where you can say so much sometimes without having to say it, you know, you can, you can feel it more intuitively or, uh, or a cool guitar solo can end up being the thing that conveys whatever is trying to get out. But I am curious as somebody who, you know, you're talking about, obviously the, the initial spark might come from the unconscious or the subconscious, or maybe, I don't know, I like to think about concepts of the collective unconscious too, of course, you know, something that we're all sure. tapping sure. into or drawing mm-hmm. from without even being um, aware that that's what we're doing necessarily. But um, it's it's interesting to hear that that's where it starts and then there's sort of a carving process. There's a sort of winnowing it into a form for, for prose writing. But do you have it happen with songs sometimes where it, it all happens so quickly that like you don't even (laughs) that you bypass that whole other side of it does that happen with music sometimes yeah so just like a pure like auto write without any kind of edits yeah yeah Um, yeah. i mean it's gonna sound unbelievable or something but jordan was that yeah um yeah um 
and and it's and it's happened other times before i really don't like to edit um songs um because once i start editing it's it creeps into that other realm that is where where you know you feel like you're you're staking a claim and you have a message and Mm -hmm. i just don't not not in my songwriting you know uh yeah yeah i really want like this the listener to be just as important as the as the um as the song itself and kind of have like a as as much of a symbiotic relationship as possible um where you know the the reader is like into or the reader i know what you mean. <laughs> uh, you know the, the listener the listener yeah. can like can tune in with the you know can tune in themselves and, and think for themselves and, and not necessarily be told what to think yeah, that's the space that a great song creates. It's like an, it's, a, it's an invitational space, which I think is 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 something that like and writing has that in its own way, of course, prose writing. But but with music, it's just so much more immediate and so much yeah. more uh, felt. And it's I don't you know, on one hand, I, there is a part of me that's surprised to hear you say that Jordan just kind of came like that, like a flash. But then there's another part of me that like. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird to sometimes say st- what happens a lot. You talked about learning in public or whatever. And, and for people who've been listening to this podcast for uh, years now, they've 100 percent heard me learn in public over and over again, you know, in some ways. Um, but I but I am sort of starting to like circle in on this this notion that sometimes a song, a song like Jordan, I think when I first heard it. It felt uh, like it like it did have a root in whatever the collective unconscious is, you know, whatever that whatever our consciousness really is comprised of. It it remains mysterious, of course, but mm-hmm. sometimes you hear something and you know it. It sounds funny to say, but it's like you feel like that song has always existed, and mm. and now it's been given shape you know and now it exists in this way but you know i think that obviously that can for a songwriter that can almost feel like an implication you know it's like well where am i the author you know like in this process because i know so often you know people songwriters will talk about being hit by a bolt of lightning and and then there are other songwriters that are like no i have to do a lot of things in order for the lightning to have a place to strike, you know? And, but anyway, I just, I don't know. I think I've kind of careened off the path of what I was trying to get towards, but (laughs) I think that something about the way in that song you are evoking places and you are evoking names really does make me feel about, it, it, it brings to mind what you were saying about sort of creating space for the listener, because you don't have to tell me what that song is about i get to decide what it's about in my head you know what you know what i mean mm-hmm. i don't i don't mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. yeah um i and i appreciate you not asking because i you know i i really don't know what it's about i mean i know what it's kind of the personal meaning to me i guess now but uh but only in reflection and um i don't know it's uh it's it's a mystery to me. I know that sounds really like weird, but I just, yeah, it's okay. I think to not, to not understand everything. 
No, I think yeah. that it's it's not only okay, it's like maybe necessary more and more in our in our uh like in our day-to-day interactions with each other and with um art and with fiction and with all of this stuff like I try to stay away from big pronouncements about what is and isn't happening, you know? But I do feel like we have slipped into rote and potentially catastrophic fashions of thinking we know exactly what's going on all the time. And we don't. We just simply don't. And I mean that in, like, every possible way, you know? Um, right, right. We, we don't know what's happening. We don't actually know what somebody else is thinking. We don't actually know what their motive is. And mm-hmm. I am just more and more drawn to maybe the possibility of music as a refuge of that feeling of like of of not knowing and contentment or peace in the not knowingness and and even recognizing well that's where all the possibility lies because if i don't know how the story's going to end i'm not trying to intentionally bring this back to the title optimism but of course <laughs> the idea of optimism has been stuck in my head as we look at what feels like a, an apocalyptic condition every time we turn around i think we have we've apocalypsed ourselves out of a lot of optimism <laughs> and so that thing you're saying about not knowing i didn't mean to get on a climb onto some sort of hobby horse and 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 rattle that off but i but i just really resonated what you were saying because i I think not knowing is we all have to be a lot more comfortable with what we don't know and what is open to um, discussion or interpretation. I don't know. I don't know if any of that resonates with you. Well, certainly you using um, apocalypse as a verb. Apocalypsed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, of course, I I don't know if I could say like, it better than you just did it just like really is such a um if i do have some sort of like statement or or something like that it's almost like against statements or something what you said and i just feel so um impassioned about um it's the um it's the way i you know my my mode of like pedagogy like um you know, writing before knowing, like writing to know, not not knowing before you begin. It's um, you know, it's it's uninteresting really to hear about what everyone knows. I, I I'm more interested in, in what's like the uh, what's the, these essential things that are belying all these things that we we know. You know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, even within knowing, there's like all these layers of knowing that are you know, that are just like waiting to be, um, you know, uh, dug for, um, and it really truncates the, um, really limits our lives to know <laughs> anything. Yeah. Um, so I try not to. I try not to like limit myself, um, if possible. You know. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. 
A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. I went back and read the great Pitchfork review of Optimism, and and um, gosh, the author's name just completely slipped my head. But um, apologies to them for forgetting. Uh, but you know, they they uh, cited both Raymond Carver and Amy Hempel, who are you know two writers. Carver, for me, a more sort of foundational favorite, somebody I discovered in my, you know, early 20s or whatever. And, and of course, it just made all the difference. Amy Hempel, somebody who I've come to more recently in the last, you know, I don't know. I've reached the point where I, I will now start to say, like, in the last couple of years and then realize, well, no, I guess it was like six or seven years ago. Anyway, <laughs> you know, but a little bit more recently. and. Something that I really like about both of their work and and so many like great short story authors, people who are really focused on the form of short story, people like Lucia Berlin or, or whoever, is that in a weird way, short stories to me do feel maybe the most related to songs outside yeah. of poetry, you know, maybe yeah. outside of poetry, um, because a good short story does sort of have to have the same kind of space for the the reader to to wander into and then mm-hmm. have to sort of exit out of quicker than a novel where in a novel you've got this longer experience and a more immersive thing that that keeps going whereas a short story is a little bit more a little bit more like a song you know mm-hmm. um it's a more compact form. And I just wonder for you, um, you were, while working on this, uh, as we've discussed already, reading a ton, um, and you and you weren't really listening to a lot of music, right? Is that is that correct? Yeah, I mean, kind of just, I just didn't have a way to. Like, I, I didn't have streaming. My record player was broken. Even now, my, my speakers are still broken. Um, my yeah. car speakers went out. Like I had zero ways of listening. I guess I could have gone out and, and bought something, but you know, I just kind of uh, let it happen. Just decided that it was happening to me and I was going to let it happen and just kind of <laughs> yeah. punish myself for a little while, you know? Um, um, well, we can get into the punishment thing because I know you were raised <laughs> evangelical. So I'm sure that, that we can discuss some of that. Uh, I, I was I was as well so uh you know I know of which okay. I speak but um no I'm mostly goofing around about that but <laughs> but I do find it fascinating this idea that that you decided to let song you know music just kind of go for a little bit and 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 I found that the more I thought about it the more curious I became about like w- what that process was like and if it felt in some ways good because we live in an extremely noisy world in a lot of ways and music is of course maybe my favorite thing in the universe but at the same time 
it can become part of the noise too if you don't maybe cultivate your relationship with it. And so I wondered what that sort of period of um, musical sort of abandoning that form, what it, what it felt like. Yeah. Um, uh, boring. Boring. Pretty, pretty boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I have to, I have to, uh, you know, store up a wealth of boredom to cash it in for the prize of art. Um, so I, uh, you know, I can let these things go. And then when I rediscover something, it just feels like, um, you know, water in a drought or something is kind of, it becomes its miraculous, um, beginning again. I mean, I remember when I was in college and I had moved to Austin for the first time and I was seeing live music for the first time and not just live music, but like, um, you know, heartbreaking, you know, life, life affirming, uh, sound and experience. And, you know, that kind of, that kind of love for music that, um, can really just like, really just drip right away with how much music is available to us now. Um, so, you know, it's, um, I don't know, I guess it kind of made, I guess it kind of made music more, um, more special for me. Um, and, uh, I, I eventually got a boom box so I can listen to CDs and tapes and the radio and things now. I've been listening to the radio a lot. I find the radio, um, fascinating. What, what kind of station do you listen to? Is it like a it's top the, 40 station, classic rock? It's the, uh, it's a just a community radio okay. so like i never know what's going to be on i don't keep track of who's who or what's what i just turn it on and then sometimes it's you know folk hour sometimes it's emo sometimes it's musical theater you know i just listen yeah you uh in indulge the mystery of turning on the boom box to see yeah. what else did you yeah. uh did you get it when you got your boombox? Did you get any new CDs or tapes with it? Uh, no, but I was able to start listening to some CDs and tapes that I I had just sitting around. So I had like an Andre Segovia um, cassette, and um, I have um, this Fifty Thousand Fall fans can't be wrong, you know, compilation. And I um, I really only have a few CDs and a few cassettes, but um, yeah. That's that that's that that's great though. I mean, first off, I I do I'm a very big fall fan, and so I like I like that that's one of the yeah the falls the falls great. Talk about a great use of words. I mean, like or just use of syllables sometimes. I don't even yes. always know what Marky e. Smith is saying, but it sounds correct to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting, and almost feels like. <laughs> It's funny uh, because you're talking about this this sort of musical drought and then it breaking and 
now you can listen to a few CDs and tapes and it's like well, well it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't exactly like a it still it still has like a slightly monastic vibe maybe you know or a contemplative approach which I think is really interesting and cool because we are everything does feel overwhelmingly gluttonous or uh, mm-hmm. what we ha- what we have access to you know and so um it can be maybe helpful maybe you're inspiring a boombox period for me i'm not i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah i this is this would be the part of my life that i hesitate to recommend to other people sure. <laughs> um, yeah i know that i know that some of the things that i do are drastic um and to what effect i'm not really sure um but it's kind of i don't know it feels consistent i don't feel like it's um yeah, it just feels like kind of my way of of assimilating and not assimilating and, you know, yeah, yeah. taking in art and not taking in art. Um, I really, I really uh, love the, just the, the random recommendations. So like a, so a YouTube video, someone sends me or something. I, I recently found this, um, this threesome in Uruguay called Travesia. You know them? Mm-hmm. I don't know them. No, they're kind of like Uruguayan roaches. The roaches, cool. Um, yeah, just like truly, truly like fascinating music. I've just been listening to on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I like to just become obsessed with one thing. I like to listen to it a lot. I like the repetition. I like the the really getting to know um, one thing at a time and not like going song by song through a million things. Um, it's nice. It's nice to, to like get to know um, music and, and befriend it and, and have like um, have some sort of like you know connection to it. I guess I, I, it's yeah ob- obvious to say, but you know what I mean. No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, uh, I did, I did, I did make a joke about your evangelical upbringing, but you know, the sort of concept of God does make appearances in your songs, and and is to me one of the most fascinating and sort of abiding questions. You know, is really. What is uh, music's role in our sort of um, how we shape spiritual worldviews? And to mm. me, um, I grew up in church and grew up in like a very small church where we didn't, most of the time, we didn't even have a pianist. So it was all a cappella singing. Um, yeah. For the most part. Um, and not like cool shape note, uh, fascinating harmonies or anything like that. No, just everybody's singing, you know, <laughs> the same melody. Um, and over the years, my own conception of faith and spirituality and religion has changed and shifted and grown. And at times, probably completely fallen away. And then at other times, mm-hmm. you know, comes back, rears its head with a vengeance in weird ways where all of a sudden I find myself having what I could only describe as a religious experience while listening to the diamond sea by Sonic youth or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But as somebody who grew up with 
a framework for music that had a root in spirituality because i mean that's that's fair to say right like i read about you going to like screamo shows when you were younger but i mean not just not just screamo where the topics were like broken hearts and stuff also spiritual concepts sometimes Mm -hmm. being explored Mm -hmm. and i i resonated with that very much as somebody who owned a lot of tooth and nail music (laughs) right right yeah that was the label right often yeah yeah tooth and nail maybe solid state had some of the hardcore stuff there was various you know but Mm -hmm. pretty much the only thing that approached cool you know Mm -hmm. uh, in christian music was on tooth and nail but i just wonder what the relationship is like for you um when it comes to spirituality and music what kind of back and forth do they do they have in your life maybe at present sure um well i guess i i guess i would like you know make a leap and say that um i don't necessarily differentiate between the unconscious, the collective unconscious, and quote-unquote spirituality or quote-unquote God. Um, I really think that these things, if they're not one, they're um, they're a part of a really complex Venn diagram in which accessing one is accessing another. Um, And so... I would say it's very much a part of everything I do. Um, and not really something I, I call upon, not really, that's not, it's not obvious to me. It's not uh, literal. It's not, um, it's not necessarily prayer, but I would, I would expand the definition of prayer to something um, like listening. Um, I think it's all, I think it's all really, happening all the time um uh in interesting ways and i I, you you brought up the the concept of authorship earlier um and that's just not really something i feel um you know that drives me really i yeah yeah you know i add almost sometimes i sometimes that I don't want that to get in the way of anything, you know, I, I kind of would rather just, you know, be, be thinking and, and acting towards something else broader, you know, uh, yeah, less. Yeah. 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 And I mean, what you're describing obviously is remains, I mean, it sounds, there's a, there's an, it sounds like an intentional space carved for, the ambiguity of that and saying like, you're not even necessarily interested in putting a name to it or explaining it. You just can kind of somehow know it when you know it or know it, how you know it. I, I, I feel like I know what, what you're talking about. And I also feel like because of the freedom of music and because of the freedom afforded by, um, music and the way it makes us feel and the immensity of its potential power it's like one of the best places for that kind of interchange to live um 
if not like the only one sometimes for me you know what i mean where it's like when you approach or when any of us approach concepts of the numinous or or you know whatever um it doesn't make sense. Nothing we're saying makes sense, and it, but it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to make sense in music. Right, right. And that's what, and that's yeah. why, and that's why it becomes something so, so powerful. And mm. a term that I don't necessarily, uh, I don't shy away from even saying magical in a certain sense, because I do <laughs> think there is a, yeah. I do think there's a mystic quality to to music and the language that it. Uh, that it allows us or the language it allows us to bypass sometimes. And so I really do feel like listening to, to your, your stuff. I, I really, I really had a deep sense of that and was able to, uh, yeah, it's just been a real joy spending time thinking about your stuff Mm -hmm. and, and, and digging into the new record and, and your previous. And I just, yeah, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with us about it. Oh, sure. It's been it's been really lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you for listening to Transmissions. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, produce, and host the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton, and our music comes from Frank Mastin, drawn from his beautiful discography of library music. You can find more of it by visiting mastin.bandcamp.com. Our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio show, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35, at 7 p.m. Pacific time each and every Wednesday. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts. Next week on Transmissions, psychedelic folk duo Elkhorn join me for a head-spinning conversation about underground music, spirituality, collaboration, and much more. I hope you will join us. Until then, take care. This transmission is concluded.